What's up, everyone? You're listening to The Rise Project. My name is Ivan Temelkov, and I'm your host. On this podcast, we discuss entrepreneurship, personal development, family tech, and marketing. And as always, it's 100% real, raw, and unfiltered. Today, I have a very special guest on the podcast, and if you've been listening for a while, you will know that I don't just bring on anybody. I'm joined by Cynthia Thurlow, uh, who is a nurse practitioner, entrepreneur, functional nutritionist, and a two-time TEDx speaker. Her passion is helping women find wellness through healing power of nutrition and solving health problems from the inside out. But what she is most proud of are a mom and wife. Those are her two most proud titles. Uh, she has all boys, including two doodles and a loving, pa- patient, supportive husband. Welcome, Cynthia. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. So I wanted to have you on the show for one reason is because I needed to diversify the mix. You know, it's just been like <laughs> too much testosterone flying mm-hmm. around on the show. And I'm like, you know, we, we need to bring more women that are movers and shakers and doing some awesome fucking shit in the world. And you know, I was very impressed. You know, everything that I saw online about you, not to mention you're a two-time TEDx speaker. That is fucking amazing. So <laughs> thank you. Let's start out a little bit about your story. You know, let's let's go a few years back to before you were doing what you're doing today, before the 10x speaking. Like, like, did you just wake up one day and like, I'm going to be fucking awesome? <laughs> like, um, my whole life has been defined by not doing what is expected of me. And I, and I say that in a very safe way. You know, I'll give you an example. I was pre-law all through undergrad, got into law school, decided not to go graduated, got a job because my parents were like, you're cut off, which is what should happen when you graduate from from college. And I dove into pre-med classes and then ended up in heading the medicine route and, uh, you know, did that for a while. And I think for me, I have to be honest, I, I loved cardiology. I worked as a nurse practitioner in cardiology for 16 years, had a great job. And, um, I, I just felt like there had to be more to, uh, me than just writing prescriptions because unfortunately that's what the Western medicine model has largely become is we've conditioned patients to believe that every symptom requires a pill and that pill has to be made in a pharmaceutical company. And uh, I just got really interested in food. I had a child with food allergies and Mm -hmm. uh, I kind of got tired of giving him prescription medications to address his eczema. And so long story short, that dove me into the world of nutrition and you know, I, I ended up becoming a nutrition expert and, and you know, I, I woke up one day literally and said to my husband, I'm done. And of course he thought I was crazy because I was living a six figure job and I was going to become an entrepreneur and had no business training. And somehow, you know, like I always do, I land on my feet, even though I don't do the path. Um, I, I do the path less travel. That seems to be the, the mainstay of my existence. So, mm-hmm. you know, became an entrepreneur uh, almost four years ago. I'm coming up on my four year anniversary and you know, hired a business coach, which I tell everyone I speak to that is a new entrepreneur, you need guidance, whether it's in a mastermind mm-hmm. or, you know, a peer, you know, a trusted peer that's going to help guide you. And I, I think that's a, a worthy investment. So that's where I started. And then, uh, and then I kind of fell into, you know, a women's health focus. And uh, in 2018, I decided that I wanted to, you know, I'm an introvert. So I, I wanted to uh, give myself a goal that would be safe, and so I said, I want to do a TED Talk. And of course, my family thought I was bananas. And uh, I ended up doing two. And uh, the first one, I, after the first one, I was so exhilarating to get up on stage and talk about something I'm passionate about. 
and then I did a second one after I had been uh, hospitalized and was pretty sick. I almost died. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that what that tells us about perseverance and mindset is that it's so critical, you know, irrespective of where you work, where you live, or you know, what your circumstances are. You know, mindset is everything. Everything. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's three things that you said that ironically enough, I have faced. <laughs> One is both of my kids actually have eczema. Uh, wow. My son actually has it worse than my daughter. Uh, both of my kids have food allergies. Mm-hmm. And this is my fourth year in business too. <laughs> so, that is, so what I want to know from you is, because I remember the day when I found out that my son, who's three and a half now, and my daughter is 20 months old, when, when I found out that he had eczema and I was freaking the fuck out, yeah, I'm just like, sure. what the hell is this? And luckily I have a wife who is a lot more medically um, mm-hmm. educated than okay. I am <laughs> because I have no freaking idea what the hell is going on. And she said, you know, it's eczema. And so, um, you know, what were your thoughts on like kind of when you were going through this? I mean, you know, in terms of the remedy, because you, you were talking about, and again, as an Eastern European, you were talking about we live in this Western culture where, mm-hmm. you know, if you've got an illness, you've got to be medicated, Correct. right? Correct. So, like, what was going through your mind when you found out that, you know, your, um, your, your boys, right? Both of your boys have... Well, it's actually my oldest son. So, he was mm-hmm. four months old when his eczema started. And so, as a nurse practitioner, I knew what it was. And the first mm-hmm. thing I thought was, you know, he's exclusively breastfed. So what am I eating that's making him sick? So that was my first thought. And when I took him to the pediatrician, they're like, no, 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 you know, just do these baths and put him in, you know, put this topical steroid on and don't worry about what you're eating. You eat healthy. It's fine. And then mm-hmm. when it persisted and I'm, I'm realizing that on the potency scale of steroids, he's on a level four, which is really, really strong. I was like, I don't want my son taking this forever. Like if it's not getting better, something's not like something's not gelling. And so uh, that got me, you know, more interested in looking at food and and I really pushed to have his allergies tested. And then I was stunned to realize that he had life-threatening food allergies. So peanuts, tree nuts were what he was allergic to. And then it made me paranoid for him to go out to eat. And then it made me paranoid to do anything other than cook all of his food. So for me, it became a several year pattern. And then I had another child, several year pattern of being fearful that food could harm him or, you know, he could get cross contamination. And this is, you know, he's now almost 15 years old. So this is a long time ago. And I just don't think most restaurants, even though I live in the Washington DC area, were really as good as they are now about food allergies. And so it just made me feel like I had to isolate him and be paranoid and fearful that food could hurt him as well as heal him. And so, you know, my youngest, who's kind of a, has always been a devil may care kind of child. Thankfully, he's not the one with food allergies because he would probably eat it anyway. Like that's just his personality that he's, you know, always pushing buttons. So Mm -hmm. I can appreciate for you what you and your wife have gone through with your children. But what I've come to find out is that eczema almost always is an indication of inflammation and gut health. And, uh, you know, we've done a lot of gut work. Uh, for mm-hmm. him as he's gotten older. Obviously, it's it's easier when they get a little older to address those things, but changing his diet, um, you know, he's largely been gluten-free for many, many years, really made a huge difference. And then, you know, really talking about whole food nutrition and, uh, you know, just being really diligent about self-care and just feeling like things got very complicated. I sure. think for me, that was what was so frustrating was that 
this isn't, you know, when I was growing up, there'd be like the one weird kid with a peanut allergy and no one else had food allergies. Whereas now it's like everyone has food allergies or every kid has some variation of food allergies. What are your, do you know what your children are allergic to? So basically everything you said, (laughs) that's what, you know, tree nuts, peanuts, um, uh, like peanut butter, you know, they can't eat stuff like that. And honestly, growing up, what you were just saying is, this, you know, I'm an Eastern European, you know, like my parents didn't know what the fuck a food allergy was. God forbid <laughs> that I digested something. Luckily, I didn't growing up that would have, you know, inflicted me somehow. Right. But these days, you're absolutely right. And in fact, this is actually an ongoing battle that I'm having with my kids daycare because, you know, uh, the type of food choices that they serve versus what they eat. I mean, both of my kids, it's taquitos, chicken nuggets, and maybe pizza. That's about it. That's really all that they eat. I mean, in part, they are selective eaters, but it's also because of their food allergies. There's not much of choices, you know, because like you were saying, you know, cross-contamination has been a worry for us. Mm -hmm. You know, in fact, anytime that we go out, it's, and it's weird, honestly, because as a society, I feel like when you go to a restaurant and you ask the server, well, do you know if this has eggs in it? Which eggs is another allergy, by the way. Yeah, Do you know hard. if this has eggs in it? And there's eggs in absolutely everything. Yeah, it makes absolutely it everything. And it makes it extremely hard. And the server looks at you and like, what the fuck? I don't know. <laughs> like, but, you know what, you- but, they, but they should. I mean, that, that's the thing that I guess I find frustrating mm-hmm. is that in this culture that we live in, in, you know, there should be training or there should be a discussion right. or, the, or the server should say, you know, I don't know, but let me find out. Because there are just so many people that have this, that, that have either an inflammatory response or an allergenic response to food. And, you know, I was an ER nurse in my past life. And I tell people all the time, I have a healthy amount of respect for food allergies because I saw some horrible things from people who either yeah. didn't know better, didn't have their EpiPen. I would have, you know, men walk in from the outside and they're like, I'm having allergic reaction. I'm like, where's your EpiPen in my pants? They're too afraid to give themselves an EpiPen. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, drop your pants yeah. and triage because we're going to give you an EpiPen in your leg. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think there's yeah. a lot of, there's a lack of understanding. I think for some families, every once in a while, I'll hear someone, you know, say something like, what's the big deal? Why can't I just give my kid PB&J? And I'm like, listen, because if they've got an airborne allergy, you don't want yeah. another child. I mean, I have so much compassion for families that deal with airborne allergies. That's a whole other la- layer uh, level of, um, complexity to dealing with those kinds of issues. Uh, thankfully, yeah. that's not what we have. But yeah, it's scary. It's scary for parents, understandably. You know, one thing that you mentioned is compassion. I think um, people that don't have kids that face food allergies, mm-hmm. because you were talking about like EpiPens, for instance. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, luckily for me, my, my wife has worked in the NICU for a long time. So that's kind of where I got lucky mm-hmm. with having a wife yeah, who knows absolutely. what the fuck she's doing. Yeah. <laughs> and when you came to the EpiPens and actually like we had to go to a class to actually learn how to administer this. Right. Oh wow! And I'm like, yeah, like actually, cause the EpiPens actually have changed, believe it or not. They no longer look like a pen, look more like a, like a stamp. Yeah. Like they've changed the size and, and you know, they're less painful and such, mm-hmm. but you're absolutely right. I think that's probably one of the takeaways that you mentioned is that, you know, having the compassion to understand because other parents don't understand that, you know, my kid can't have certain things. Right. Because they could die from it you know, and it's a life-threatening thing. So you have to be continuously on alert. And 
You know, I have a three and a half year old and a 20 month old. They're both chasing each other. And I have to constantly be on the lookout of what they're getting their hands in, mm-hmm. snacks, whatever, because that's what they do at this age, right? Yeah. They're so young. I mean, they're toddlers, you know, they're running around and it makes it that much challenging. In fact, sometimes I wonder if I even need to go to the gym because I'm chasing my kids around the house and that's <laughs> exercise in itself, Yeah. you know? So I just wanted to ask you though, on that note is, you know, what, what has been your take in terms of an, a learning experience in dealing with, you know, children that have eczema and uh, food allergies also? Well, I think for me, you know, having not had food allergies or eczema growing up and, and neither did my brother, you know, also as a healthcare provider. So that adds another complication because it's like I know too much. A, in many ways, it has made me an even more compassionate parent because now I have a teenager who doesn't want to not eat what his friends are eating. Although thankfully most of his friends have the same, have the same food allergies that he does, which makes it a little bit easier. But now you're parenting differently than you are when, when you're a toddler, you know, they don't know any better, but they'll grab onto things. Whereas now I have a child pushing boundaries. And so it's a different type of parenting and and eventually Mm -hmm. he'll date. I mean, thankfully we're not there yet. And you worry about maybe the girl he's going to kiss is ingested a peanut butter cup. And then what's going to, what's that going to do for him? And so I, I think for me, you know, your heart is just out there because your kids, you hope they make good choices as they get older. You hope that, you know, I, I think initially I, I hope that they would out, well, he would outgrow his allergies, which he did and only 30% of children do. So you're, the odds are really stacked against you that that will happen. Yeah. But I, I think it just adds another layer of complexity as a parent because you just, you can't foolproof everything. And when they're out of your eyesight and they're out of your house for most of the day and spending a lot of time with their friends, I mean, you're just continuing to hope that they're making good decisions. Um, unlike when they're a yeah. toddler, you have a little more control over what they're doing uh, that starts to slowly dissipate as they start getting older. But yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, I would say the bulk of my friends do have children with either sensitivities or allergies. And when we talk about it, it's, you know, it's kind of like, this is, this is what we got and, you know, it could be worse. So I just try to do the best that I can with it and press upon Mm -hmm. him how serious the situation is. I mean, you know, the, the first allergist said to me, just uh, carry an EpiPen and pray is what she said to me. And I was like, what? (laughs) I was like, what the hell am I supposed to do with that? Right. Advice is that that's not helpful. Is not. I mean, praying is great, but in the context of this, that's not going to help right. me right now. No. Um, so there's two things that you know that you mentioned that while well, they were on the tip of my brain is is that so one of them is uh, as parents we are hopeful that you know both of my kids are going to outgrow those food mm-hmm. allergies, but like you said, you know there's a very small percentage of those kids um, that do that. And then the second thing is, I am absolutely ecstatic to have you here because I think you're actually the first person uh, in the five years of running this podcast that is actually talking exclusively about family and how that intertwines with an entire lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the reasons why I also wanted to have you on because part of my brand really focuses on human marketing, human business. Mm -hmm. And there's just not enough to say about family, how that intertwines within your business life. So I wanted to kind of segue from that a little bit though into the TEDx thing Mm -hmm. because Personally, that's one of my goals one day is to awesome. do a TEDx talk. And I, what I want to know from you is, you know, can you talk a little bit about, like, how did you land there? How did you land your first TEDx talk? Like, what was your experience like? 
Yeah. So I actually, it's funny. I'm not going to plug this individual. I'll tell you privately, but I saw someone do a video on Facebook talking about their TEDx experience. And I was so passionate about doing one after watching this individual's discussion that he had that I reached out to him and connected with him and his team actually helped me write applications. Now, whether or not you know this, it's an application number game, meaning, you know, most people don't write one application and get their first TED talk. Usually you have to submit a lot of applications because it's a volume based, someone at some curator or some event planner has to connect with your message of what you want to share. So you have to come up with an idea and then every TEDx event has a different application. It's exhaustive. And so I paid his group to write all the applications. Essentially, I wrote one and then they took the information. And so it took about four months to get my first. And then uh, on the heels of, of getting my first, I was contacted about a second one. And, and the second one was a larger event. And there were five rounds of cuts, <laughs> which was very interesting <laughs> to say the very least. And so my first TED Talk, uh, I only had a month to plan. I knew what my topic would be on. I'm usually very women's health focused. I flew to Toronto, which was really cool. So I get to say like my first TED Talk was an international TED Talk. Flew to mm -hmm. Toronto, did my talk. I loved it. I didn't love the person that organized it because she really kind of gave me a hard time throughout the process, but I did a great, I did a great talk. Got off the stage, felt like a rock star. I was like, I'm totally in for wanting to do a second one. And then I found out right before Christmas, I had gotten the second one in the state I, the state I was born in. So very proud to head back to South Carolina to do this TED Talk because I have a lot of family roots there. And the, uh, the irony about the second talk and what I think is relevant is that second time around, I was like, oh, I've been there, done that. I can do this. And I just need two weeks to prep and commit it to memory. And if for anyone who's listening who doesn't realize, you don't have a teleprompter you have nothing to cue you. You have to commit it to memory and execute it and make it look like it's not committed to memory and animatronic. Um, my complicating issue was that I was hospitalized about six weeks before, no, was it seven weeks, seven weeks before the talk. And so mm -hmm. for me, what happened was I was hospitalized for 13 days. And for the first week I was hospitalized, I only thought about water because I couldn't eat or drink anything. And the second week, all I thought about were burgers and that I still wanted to do this TED Talk. And my surgeon thought I was crazy. And every person I talked to thought I was nuts. And I think they just appeased me and said, oh, yeah, sure, you can still do this talk. Uh, and so you know, I went home and lied like a blob for two weeks. And then I was like, I'm still going to do this talk. And so I executed the talk 27 days after I was hospitalized. But the takeaway message about applying for TED Talks is you have to have a clear, concise, message worth sharing. So you have to spend time thinking about that. But each topic I used or that I talked about were things I knew a lot about. That was the only mindset that I had was I want to share something that I think is really helpful with the world because I think not enough people are talking about this, not understanding that the topic I picked for my second one was the most Googled concept in 2019 as it related to nutrition. So mm -hmm. it was very advantageous, but a really cool experience. I mean, I highly recommend it. It is uh, exhilarating, stressful. It pushed me in ways I never thought possible. Uh, I did my first one because I was just excited to do it. I did my second one because I wanted to make sure my brain still worked. And I mean that sincerely because it was a lot of yeah. Mental effort, uh, less so than physical, because I went to my second TED talk with a ruptured appendix and then had it taken out a week later. But I think the mindset is what's key. You know, what I always tell, I took my youngest with me and I told him, if you can commit your mind to anything, it is possible. And that is mm -hmm. for anyone who's listening, 
mindset is everything. You know, we can will ourselves to do things even when we think we can't. Because if I had talked to people, you know, I was still pretty like skinny, deconditioned and just not 150%. I wasn't even back to, I could, I don't even think I was still, I was back to eating like a normal diet. I was still eating, you know, having to eat pretty sparingly. My digestive system was so out of whack. Um, But yeah, I would highly recommend it. I I think it was an incredible experience and definitely a highlight of uh, the last year and a half for sure. It's, it sounds like uh, you absolutely enjoyed it. And that's why I wanted you to speak about it because uh, first, of all, first of all, it's a personal goal of mine. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I think I just learned from you is this study has to be very niche in terms it of does. the topic that you pick, which, you know, what's, what's really ironic about that is what you just said, that it's very niche. Because as an Eastern European, you know, growing up, being bullied all through high school also, I think also a former introvert, which you mentioned earlier on, is I'm more of an extrovert, mainly because I just don't give a shit about what people think. <laughs> I don't care about being expressive. Either like me or you don't. You know, right. that's just the reality of it. And um, But you were talking about, like, being so niche. And I think when I was younger, like, there were all these different things. Like, you know, growing up as an immigrant, family, immigrant, just so many things to talk about. And I think as, an, as a former introvert was always, in the mindset of, you know what, nobody wants to hear about this. You know, this, this isn't interesting, you know. So kind of sort of encapsulating myself in the fact that and now that you said, well, you know, TEDx is really about having something niche, you know, something that, you know, is buzzworthy, yeah. but something that you know a lot about, something that you bring unique perspective to that can help people teach them something, right? Um, so that's really interesting you said that because, and I think that really kind of gives me more encouragement, honestly, mm-hmm. because... There's a lot of weird shit floating in my head that I want to talk about that I think the world would benefit from. But I, I think also as a human being, it's like, just because I care about it, does, does that mean that others are going to care about it? It's kind of like that battle, you know, between like, okay, just because I care about it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody else is going to care about it. But you know what? There's TEDx. And is TEDx strictly business focused or is it just... Could be anything. I'm telling you, there are, I mean, even if you go on YouTube, I mean, you will find... Mm-hmm thousands of topics and it could be from polarizing to non-polarizing. I mean, I, I've over the course of, you know, doing two myself and then watching, you know, hundreds of others. Cause I, I wanted to say, what do I like about the people who look like they're really strong and confident? And that's what I want to emulate as opposed to you get people up there and people can crash and burn up there. I mean, it's like anything uh, you mm-hmm. just don't, you just hope that's, excuse me, not the case. Uh, but I think, you know, the concept of an idea worth sharing. So a fresh take on, an, on a new perspective, a fresh take on an old perspective. Uh, you want it to be timely. Uh, I, I think that sometimes people pick topics that are really obscure. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what I, I would necessarily encourage someone to focus on. But that's something that, that, you know, intrinsically resonates with you. I mean, it could be talking about what it's like to have two children with food allergies. And I mean, how many people that have food allergies, kids that have food allergies would understand, sure. uh, you know, what that's about or your experience as, you know, an immigrant. I mean, I, I think that everyone has kind of a unique take on it, but it's, it's really what lights you up. I mean, that's the one thing I, I took away from it. Like what, like, what are you most passionate about? That's what you should talk yeah. about. I think that really kind of validates everything that I've seen in terms of TEDx too, because I think in the beginning, um, my impression was uh, that it was more 
well, it was strictly business focused. It's mm-hmm. somehow, you know, still correlated to business, mm-hmm. regardless of what the story was. But the fact that, you know, it can be anything. And in fact, you know, talking about the immigrant mindset, you know, there's like so much to say about that. So that I think that actually gives me an angle of something mm-hmm. that I might apply for to talk yeah, about. Absolutely. One, one question I wanted to ask you um, is, so as an introvert, what did it feel like being up on stage and talking to a bunch of people? <laughs> Um, so my first TED talk, it was, it was a level ground. So I could see everyone, mm-hmm. but it was a smaller audience. So it wasn't nearly as intimidated as the second one, which had theater seating and was like 500 people. That was honestly, I don't know if it was a combination of I'd been so sick. And then it was like 27 days later, I was on a stage talking in front of these people and I recognized how important it was. And the curators were very nice. They were like, we're going to have you go first thing in the morning. So I think I was the third speaker because they didn't want me to be worn out by the end of the day, which I very much appreciated. Uh, that was terrifying. And it's interesting. I look much more relaxed in my first to me than I do mm-hmm. in my second, but the second one is the one that went viral. So to me, it was terrifying because I recognized how important it was for me to nail it. Like that second time I was like, you've done it before. The quality of the speakers at the second one were superlative. So it was a little bit of imposter syndrome because mm-hmm. I recognize it was a, a, you know, they had really curated an incredible group of human beings that were just incredible speakers. And so my experience was, uh, so they, they, so here's, let me backtrack. So sometimes there's a time restriction on a Ted talk. Sometimes people get eight minutes, some 12, some 18. My first talk was 18 minutes and I actually went longer than that. And we had to cut out about a minute and a half. It's very easy to do a long talk it is much harder to do a concise talk. So my second was 12 minutes. And so there was a big clock up to my left-hand corner and I didn't pay attention to it until it got down to 40 seconds. And then I realized I had three more minutes worth of talk to give. So in my brain, I had to look up at the 40 seconds. I had to say to myself, I've got to cut out a chunk of the rest of my talk and I've got to make it look like there was not a chunk of my talk taken out. Wow. that was hard to do. And I got off the stage and I walked over to, there was a coach that was assigned to everyone. She was part of TEDx Greenville. And I said, Oh my God, I just cut three minutes of my talk out. And she said, Cynthia, no one will know. And of course I walked off the stage and I was like crushed. I was like, I'm talking about a topic I love. I can't believe I, I took three minutes at it. It must've been so obvious. And mm-hmm. so then I went and enjoyed the rest of the day. I had my son with me, my aunt, my, my cousin came to be with me. So I spent the whole day with them and I forgot about it. Uh, so there, there's a little bit of recognition, like you have to know your talk that well that you can fast forward, which is what I did. I jumped over an entire section to get to the end, to get it done so that I would be done at 40 seconds. So I I think that what it teaches you is you got to be flexible. You have to go with the flow because I could have totally freaked out and looked like a deer caught in headlights, but I just kind of switched gears and then you gracefully get off and it's all going to be okay. You know, that was the one thing I was like, you know, with everything I've been through, even if I totally messed it up, it all would have been okay because it was over. <laughs> it was like, it's sure. over and then it gets packaged. Uh, so yeah, that was definitely interesting. And this talk was a little bit more engaging with the audience. You know, where I started off talking about dispelling dogma that uh, we have about eating breakfast and, you know, breakfast being the most important meal of the day. So the audience was laughing. So I was definitely feeding off of their energy. Mm-hmm. as I had in the first one as well. But it's validating. It's nice to have that audience participation or the interaction because sure. it's better than getting up there and watching people yawn. Like that would be horrible. Sure. Well, it sounds like it, 
I mean, it turned out a lot better than I think you anticipated. <laughs> Honestly, let's let's face it, because yeah. um, and the reason I asked this question as an introvert too is because I've had stage fright in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, um, being an adjunct professor in the, in the in the past, you know, I think I've overcame that. And some things that you were talking about is just that. You know, I used to teach for hours and hours, so I'd be up there, you know, talking, and yeah, you'd see people yawning from here on, because let's face it, uh, you, it's hard to give, like you said, a concise talk. Yeah. It's easy to talk for hours and hours and hours and hours, or, because let's face it, after about an hour probably, you just sound, start, you know, sounding like a broken megaphone, mm -hmm. because just repeat, 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 you're just paraphrasing it, and that's what you're doing, right? So that was really interesting that you mentioned some of those things, and the reason I asked it, not only from an introvert standpoint, but also as a speaker, because there, I know there's people who listen to the show also who, you know, are aspiring speakers, you know, they have a message to share with the world, uh, including myself, obviously, yeah. because speaking is something that I'm looking to do more of. I think TEDx is probably going to be like one of those that like, okay, what is the one thing that I'm truly passionate about that can really talk about and knock it out of the park? And the day that happens, I'm going to be fucking absolutely mesmerized yeah. because it's like one of those things that you know it's a bucket list thing is to get in front of such a such a what's the word reputable you know mm -hmm. brand because TEDx is a huge brand you know there's yeah. some amazing speakers that I have seen on there including yourself I mean that was one of the yeah. reasons that you know I wanted you on the show because of your story because you know you've done all these things that I think there's a lot of other people that want to do in their life and they're afraid to yeah. That's the introvert mentality where that you were kind of speaking to because I know I was afraid when I was younger. I, I was afraid and it was mainly, I think, because of judgment. Mm -hmm. It was of like, what are people going to think about this or how are they going to perceive me as opposed to who the fuck cares? Just go out there and do it. Like really having that strong self-confidence mm -hmm. to man up and just do it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's in, in part why so many people don't live to their fullest potential is because of that. Correct. It's because I, I, I do agree with you. And, and I think I, I've always, I've always been an introvert, but I've also been um, very resilient and confident, but I can tell you almost dying last year uh, without being melodramatic. I fear nothing now. I fear absolutely nothing. And I think that's a, a really great place to be because I am not going to play small. You know, that's something that I was talking to Tony Watley about. It's like, yeah, there's no playing small in my life anymore. You know, I want to live a big life because there's no guarantees we're going to be here. You know, I didn't think in my forties I could almost die. I was super healthy before I got sick and my health is what saved me to be honest. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I think that forever shifts your perspective. So yes, I'm still an introvert. But the difference for me now is I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid uh, of anything. There's nothing that will hold me back in terms of how I want to live my life, you know, moving forward. And I, and I think that that is scary for some people to hear. And I said, you know, I'm not someone who's reckless. I'm not suggesting that. But I think pushing myself yeah. in ways that make me uncomfortable <clears throat> doesn't bother me at all anymore. It's like, no, oh, nothing. I mean, I, what, what came out of that talk for me are a lot of amazing things and, uh, you know, I, I wrote down in October, I was at my mastermind group and wrote down in October, I made a list of things that were most important. And what's ironic is everyone in the room wasn't talking about their business. They were talking about their families and their loved ones. And mm -hmm. one of them was talking about traveling first class with my family 
And what happened later that month was a, was a company offered me an opportunity to be a spokesperson for them and to travel the world. And so manifestation and, and yep. not being fearful are really powerful ways to, to view the world. And, and so I encourage people to, you know, think beyond, think beyond the obvious, you know, don't, don't allow yourself to feel a sense of restrictions on how you want to live your life. And it could be something small or something yep. big. You know, there's two things I wanted to say to, to that is eternal gratitude is something that you need to understand on a daily basis because a vast majority of society takes stuff for granted. Yep. The fact that you woke up today, you fucking won. Yep. That is the ultimate win that you can have in your life is that you woke up today because most people don't understand that if you don't wake up, if your heart is not beating, if you don't open your eyes, and by the way, there's millions of people who probably didn't, didn't get to do that today. Mm -hmm. They couldn't, they couldn't wake up. But if you do that, you've won. The rest I feel like is materialistic. Mm -hmm. Everything else will fall into place. So the fact that, you know, you've gone through this traumatic experience and now you have this internal gratitude puts you at the forefront of the rest of society mm -hmm. because you've shifted your mindset mm -hmm. in the way you think. And the other thing I was going to mention is uh, there's actually a brand that I've been working on in terms of gear and apparel called One Life. Mm -hmm. And uh, the slogan is you live only once mm -hmm. because you do. You live only once. I yeah. think a lot of people go through their lives just getting by. Mm -hmm. what's the fucking fun in that? What's the fun in being average, mediocre? What's the fun in doing everything that society tells you? That's not living a big life. Yeah, I'm not a sheep and I'm definitely an outlier. <laughs> like that's, I always say to people, I'm like, be an outlier, don't be average or don't be right. a sheep. Like I, it's interesting, my, the university that I attended for undergrad and grad school, I was talking to an alumni person, gosh, it was like last summer. And she said, you epitomize a nurse in our, in our model. And, and we were taught, I mean, I was raised this way, but I, we were taught as students, you question everything just because you're told to do something doesn't mean you do it. You, you question everything. You do what's best for your patient. And so it's how I translate with my children saying, it's okay to question dogma. It's okay to question the existence of something. It is good to use your brain you know, critical thinking is a lost art. You know, it's something mm -hmm. that in medicine, if you don't have people die and, you know, in the business world, if you can't critically think, you're not going to survive. So I always say, right. don't be a sheep and be an outlier. Two really important things. Yeah, that's really important. That's really important. You know, I've enjoyed this conversation a lot. There are so many things that you touched upon that really resonate with me. Personally, I know it's going to resonate with a lot of the listeners too. Um, I've already seen a lot of traction. And in closing, you know, a couple of things that I wanted to ask you to close things off actually. So first of all, again, thank you so much for your time jumping on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. You know, having a female voice, you know, is something <laughs> I'm trying to push more of in 2020 because there's many, many aspiring women such as yourself that are doing amazing things in this world and we need to recognize more of you because you truly bring a fresh breath of air to this this entrepreneurial community that's been uh what someone said it's been it's been a a boy's world i think for a long time um and with that being said, you know, if someone wants to connect with you mm -hmm. you know and, and there's there's something specific like uh, like 
how can they connect with you? Is it just women? You know, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So right now I do, I do have some one on, I do one-on-one coaching. I also have group programs. The group programs are really the focus kind of moving forward because I'm doing so much public speaking, but I am on, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Twitter is probably where you will see me probably the most outspoken because it's such an incredible kind of manosphere. I always say if a woman can exist on Twitter and do well, that says a lot. <laughs> um, but you can also find me on my website, www.cynthiathurlow.com. And I have a wonderful assistant who answers all of my emails. Uh, but there's lots of great information. There's links to my TED Talks. And uh, we're almost at 5 million views. So it's pretty exciting, you know, that uh, a strategy for health and wellness is really resonating. And for that, I'm very, very grateful. You talk about gratitude, but gratitude is so important. Um, and it can't be underestimated. Yeah. Congratulations on everything on all your success. Uh, I wish you an amazing 2020. Uh, Thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it. And um, uh, hopefully everything falls into play. Thank you. Keep me posted on your TED talk. I can definitely help steer you in the right direction.